Sean, hi. Welcome uh, to our show. Uh, Thanks. <laughs> good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Good to be here. Good to be here for sure. Uh, been a minute, but uh, curling's happening. Yeah, curling is goings on. So this is the first time, Scott, we've talked since curling returned to the TV. We did not talk after the points bet spiel. I mentioned a little bit why last week in the episode but now we've also missed previewing at least the first grand slam of the season which is in the books that's right in the books uh what is it the tour challenge Tour challenge yeah in, down in a lovely niagara falls sean uh when's the last time you went to niagara falls oh uh been a minute uh does like saint Catharines count the Brock University. I was there in 2013 or 14. Does St. Catharines count? That's like the dumbest question I've ever heard. It's on the other side of the Welland Canal, Sean. It's not even not even the clo- like the next body of water being the Niagara River. That's not a natural body of water though. We had to build it. <clears throat> yeah. Doesn't count. It did. What do you mean so. it doesn't count? pretty good well i mean it doesn't count as like a real obstacle we invented it for ourselves it's like saying well there's a speed bump there so it's but but we put it there we could take it away could we sure why not fill it in <laughs> fill in the welland canal fill it in uh, i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure <clears throat> there are people here in this town who would not object to filling in the Rideau canal to get more lanes to drive on you know because <laughs> <laughs> things get in the way yeah it seems to be a, a movement here but uh not an actual movement but it seems to be that the the way things are going but no so that's probably the closest that i'd been to niagara falls in the last few years what about you okay i drove past the falls when i went to buffalo a couple of years ago i went to watch some baseball i think it was 2019 okay 2018 or 19 uh bobachette was still playing with the bias so 2018 probably yeah and then uh drove past the old uh the old falls on my way back and uh it's pretty fun Uh, they're pretty nice it is a bit kitschy sure on uh, on the canadian side but uh hey we've had curling in vegas who says we can't have curling in niagara falls absolutely so yeah a wonderful time there in vegas saw a lot of the team's took the opportunity to get out to the falls to see them in all their glory. A lot of water going over the edge there, Scott. Uh, a lot, a lot of water. That it is, Sean. It's a lot of water and uh, don't want to get in the way of the water. That's for sure. Absolutely not. Uh, so now with the first slam in the books with the Tour Challenge, Scott, we thought it'd be fun because we didn't preview the event or really the Grand Slam season in general would be to talk more generally about the Grand Slam of curling. A couple of years ago, we did an episode of ways that we would improve the Grand Slam circuit 
essentially trying to differentiate the events from each other. The Tour Challenge is probably the most different of the events in terms of its format in the tournament itself. Mm -hmm. Although it's not really that different because they have two versions of the same thing. But still, it there's more people there. It's, but in terms of the format, it's, it's not really that different. You just get to see different teams. So we want to talk about what the Grand Slam circuit is at this point. Where are we with the Grand Slams? Do they mean anything relative to bigger trends within the sport when we're talking about Olympics and world championships, those sorts of things. But Scott, just as a, a quick overview, how do you think of the Grand Slams here in the fall of 2023 now that it's, I think, a, over a decade or at least a decade where they have been owned by Rogers, they've been on Sportsnet, mm -hmm. they're established as very much a regular thing on the calendar. They seem to have settled on what their schedule is going to be. Still some room for change, clearly, as the Champions Cup is not for this year. So still some adjustments being made. But where do you think we are with the slams? Yeah, I think so. The slams are made for TV events. Um, I just, not gone the first to, two, just not the first two days. Just not the first two days. But uh, having gone to them, I get that impression too, right? Like it's not it's not jam-packed like, like for the Briar or, or the Scotties. But uh, I th what I think they represent is sort of the best teams in the world playing each other as tune-ups to what TSN would call the season of champions to those national and uh, world events. Hmm. Now, like, it, it's not true for everybody, right? Because the Continental Challenge, what, what's it called? The Pan Continental, the Pan -Continental Championship? The championship, yeah. Um, Did it, I say ch championship? <laughs> championship. Um, it is in the everyone's fall. everyone's chomping at the bit to get there, so uh, or champing at the bit. So however you want to uh, say, it. I, I that's how I see them, Sean. I see them as like kind of you know they're you drop in on them to to watch the curling. Uh, maybe the the first one more than the others because. You know, it's been so long since you've seen these teams. That's what it is to me. It's not must-watch appointment viewing the way the other things are, the other events later in the season. It's it's more of a a preview of what's to come and a tune-up for the, the teams and the players. Yeah, I, th I think I agree with you. And one of the issues with the events and the way they're framed because they're framed as best on best on best, which is great. And that is true that all of the best teams are there, but the format is such that they don't play each other throughout. Right. So right. you could say to me, Hey, like, all right. So this past weekend, right. The here, here are the best teams that are here. But if you look at the way the schedule is set up, say Holman, right. Rachel Holman is here. She's not playing Anna Hasselberg or didn't play Anna Hasselberg in the round robin. So if she goes on and wins it and doesn't play Anna Hasselberg at any point, is it really a best on best? And you can say the same thing about the Players' Championship, which is the one the players seem to say, oh, that's the pinnacle. That's the biggest event if you can win the Players' Championship. Yeah. And okay, there are fewer teams there. I think they go with 12. 
but it's the same thing. You can get through it without playing everybody. And I think that's the number one complaint that people have had about the new Briar Scotty's format is you don't have to play everybody to get mm-hmm. through. The difference, I would say, um, potentially, is that you're still going through great teams and the best teams you're still probably going to have to see. But I, I agree with that criticism of the new Briar and Scotty's format. So you want to see best on best. And with the slams, you're getting a lot of really good games for sure, but you're not necessarily getting best on best throughout. So that, that I think is one of the issues with it, that they can't claim to me with a straight face that each of these events pits the best players in the world against each other when the best players in the world aren't always playing each other. And the way the pools are going to be set up and the, the seedings are set up more often than not in the round robin, you're going to miss those peak games. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, looking back at the event that happened this year, like uh, last week, rather, Brendan Botcher played uh, Team Gushu on the Tuesday, I think. Right. So, or the Tuesday or the Wednesday. So it wasn't on TV. Yeah. And and so some of these like premier matchups that you want to see, they're not on TV. And then by the time they are on TV, oh, this team's two and two. Who have they played? Uh, what's going on and then to to like double down on that the the weekend is fun I, I think it's fun the sort of around the rings coverage yeah i agree but every event just comes down to uh, an eight team single elimination playoff yeah where which like okay that yeah. i don't think that necessarily gives you the best uh, the, the the best team for the week isn't necessarily going to come from that kind of format. Uh, basically, two wins will get you into a tiebreaker at least. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would like to see uh, the slams maybe try to go to like more, uh, more pool play. So instead of having, you know, when you have 12 teams have six pool or six teams per pool play everybody yeah in the pool and then go to a like top top four go to a page system or something so the tv still gets what they want which is a final a single game for sure but you get the opportunity to play more teams or just say forget it like we'll we'll take uh 12 teams and everybody will play each other and it'll be a week and uh, whoever yeah. has the most wins on Sunday, that's it. Yeah, that's what I'd like to see the players' championship become. If they're yeah. going to say that this is like the pinnacle event, it's not. It's not possible given where it is on the calendar. I don't think, given its place after the World Championship, which also kind of I think compromises the players' championship. That like last year, Bruce Mowat wins the World Championship Sunday night. Tuesday, they're still hungover playing in the players' playing, championship. Yeah. So yeah. is it really the pinnacle event when they're now they would tell you they're taking it very seriously and all that the other thing scott you mentioned it seems like a warm-up for the team so i i look back sylvanas here and zoni and her team have won 47 straight world championships, world championships right how many grand slams do you think that they have won in that time i feel like they've won one you are correct they have won yeah. one do you know which one um I don't have to necessarily even give me the year. I 
thought it was the the open. No, so Scott, it was the national. The national in, would have been my second guess. Okay, in twenty twenty two. So last fall is when they won the national. Otherwise, they have not won. Oh, excuse me. Also, the twenty nineteen champions cup but we don't really count that one so of the active slams they've won one in this four-year stretch so again that kind of brings up the question of well how or what do they actually tell us in terms of the competition again because it is so short right and yeah yeah how, how do we how could we sort of assess that the same thing with nicholas adine he's won four in his career and one of the criticisms that he's gotten through the course of his career and all the world championships he's won is well, he doesn't win grand slams. But how do we actually put that into perspective? And one of the things that I struggle with as a curling fan and somebody who talks about it is there seems to be a significant disconnect between the players and the fans on yeah, these. Yeah. That for the players, they view them as very important events, if not for some of the, the most important events. You heard Joel Rayturn has talk about that when they won last year. And partly because given where they're from, it's easier for them to get into a world championship than it is into a grand slam. But they talked about how significant it was to them. But from a fan perspective, because there's nothing to really differentiate them, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to remember who won. And yeah. what is the significance of this, right? And and I know people maybe don't like it when curling gets compared to golf or tennis because they're very easy comparisons. But each Grand Slam in tennis has its own thing. Even the two hard court ones are very different, right? Yeah. The one in Australia, everybody melts. And in New York, they play until 4 a.m. and people are drunk. That's sort of the, the culture of those two things. And certainly the four golf majors have their own culture to them. And even the PGA, which is kind of bland, at least last year you had the guy who was, or this year you had the guy who was the PGA, the pro at a club who went on this run and you have this really fun moment. But the Grand Slams of curling don't have those with the possible exception of the players being at Maple Leaf Gardens. That's the only kind of distinguishing thing but that's one of the struggles with it is that the players really take it way more seriously than I think the fans do as a signifier of who's great. Yeah. And I think that's fair for the players, right? This is, mm-hmm. these are the biggest opportunities to make money uh, during the season. I think that's true. And, and getting into one, is is like a coup in and of itself by yeah. by you're saying that like oh we're one of the best teams was able to get invited so so yeah for the players it is like super important and they get tv exposure so their sponsors are happy all this stuff right like yep. business wise it makes a lot of sense i don't know how to solve that disconnect from the fans unless like you do something drastic like you say like make each event different because they all are are all the same in the arena of some CHL team. Yeah. There's like nothing differentiating it. So at least from the TV perspective, right? Maybe if you go in person, it is different. There is, there are different vibes, but I tend to think no. Yeah. And again, it's the, they all start Tuesday. The TV coverage always starts Thursday. Sometimes I think at the players championship, it's six teams make the playoffs and the top two get a bye. 
but okay that's yeah that's nice it's, uh and and even when they've done a drop abc it's still basically you lose the third game before the playoffs and you're out right it's still yeah, fundamentally it's, gets to that and down to as you say quarter semi and the final so given this scott from a yeah. viewer's perspective and because we still have four more of these for the season how do you think that fans should approach the grand slams that when you go to sit down and watch it like how do we potentially as fans get something out of this that we wouldn't necessarily get out of like the autumn gold spiel where jennifer jones and caitlin laws are there and they might play each other in that like how how do we like where is this and for from a fan perspective is it more than just hey these are good teams and pretty good production value this hopefully is a fun game yeah i think maybe uh, if we could hype up the big matchups a little more you know, uh, we in theory should know ahead of time, you know, oh, Jennifer Jones is playing Rachel Holman at this time or uh, Hasselberg and Tiranzoni are playing each other at this time. So make make it such that it's appointment viewing by hyping up sort of the big matchups. Um, even the stuff that we don't see all the time, right? Like, uh, like the international teams against a Canadian team um, that maybe we don't always get to see, or um, that's sort of the, the first level I can think of. And I, I starting the TV coverage when teams have already played two games and they've got two more to go, you don't really have a feel for how they're, how they're doing. Like what's the ice like, how, how are they playing? Like you, you get maybe some percentages, but like in its two game sample, that doesn't really tell you much. Right. So yeah, that's, that, that's what I got. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I I think for me, it's just, yeah, we take them as cash fields and cash fields with better production value really. And, that, that's really what it is and just say that these are really good fields take the games for what they are you hope that they're entertaining i, I for me one of the things that hurts it is eight end games i, I don't like eight end, eight end games as much as a 10 end game it feels really yeah. constricted especially if they burn the first end which they still seem to do somewhat frequently so i'm not crazy about that i do like the around the rings coverage for the most part i, I wouldn't want it on really important games like that sounds awful but when they do it on semifinals and and the quarterfinals and stuff but you can't actually see the full game when you jump around it's kind of like if you only watch the red zone for football i don't think you can be a good football analyst like it's a really good tv show and it's really entertaining it's how i watch football at this point but i don't think i could really give you an in-depth understanding of why teams are good based on only watching the red zone. And it's the same thing with this, that when you watch the around the rings coverage, you can see the skip shots and yeah, the skips are really good, but you kind of miss the setup of the end and and how it really is a full team game. So it's, it's the difference there. So I would never want say if for whatever reasons, 
they the Olympics did this, which they I'm sure they never would have the two gold medal games together while the two bronze medal games are happening in a four across the sheet. And we're just jumping between them all like that would be awful. Right. Yeah, so yeah, you, would you wouldn't want that on games that are really significant, but it's nice on a Saturday night in January, the opens on. All right, let's just go around the rings. But part of me thinks that that sort of the, the jumping around of the coverage makes you think, all right, each individual game isn't so important isn't that as important watch that game right and yeah. so that that's all part of it i, I don't know there's just I, I don't know what they can do because you can't make each slam a nine day thing or an eight day thing and have full round robins with both the men and the women to make it like real best on best so it, it's a tough spot for them i think one of the other things we have to remember as we kind of crap all over the grand slams is that from all accounts the ratings are up and people are making money off of this. So for what it is, it's been successful. I think it's just finding whatever that balance is between the way the fans view them and the way the players view them and trying to figure out really exactly how they fit within the overall schedule. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I sort of think like if we're not being captured by the marketing of the slams, like we both really like curling to the point that we are sitting here talking about it uh, into microphones at each other. And we're not like super stoked when the slams are upcoming. Right. Because like we've covered these for, what is this? Our fifth year doing this podcast. And it's, it's the same, right? Like we thought about doing a preview and we're like, uh, we have other stuff and like, we're both busy and it, what else could we say other than the, the, all these teams are good? Yeah. Anyone could win. Well, not anyone, but I mean, th- th- there's probably 10 teams out of the 16. Yeah. That, that could win or 10, 10 of the 15 yeah. that you wouldn't, you wouldn't be like, Oh my goodness. No, it, it, no, you're right. But then whoever wins, forget who it is by Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a shame, right? Because like it is there's the players obviously care and make money on it and it's big deal to them. And we're just kind of like on to the next. Maybe it's because there's too many of them They when there were seven, right? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe fewer I, and uh, make them more special. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, because I feel like I couldn't tell you now who won Canada Cups. But when Canada Cups were still a thing, I could probably tell you who won the last few Canada Cups. And with the Scotties and the Briar the last few years and World Championships, frankly, it's kind of easy to remember who won. So you you can keep track of who wins those things. But yeah, with the Slams, it's it's much harder to keep track of. And again, it's because it doesn't hold the same significance, I think. And they've done a really good job of making them good television products of taking them around the country. They didn't end up doing Vegas, but maybe they'll get back to trying Vegas. It was on the schedule. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. I really think that having been to continental cups, multiple in Vegas and been to a world championship in Vegas, that a slam is a good Vegas event, right? I think Vegas is a weekend town, take a weekend curling event there. The question is, will people travel for it? But you would ask the same thing about the Continental Cup because that was right. an exhibition. So 
maybe people would travel for a slam for the same reason. Hopefully that would be the case, but there, there just, I think has to be something to differentiate them in the minds of fans, or we just accept that they're cash bills that don't really have any cannon fodder. Yeah. What do you think, Sean, of giving each team its own uniform color and saying your color has to stay the same and it can't be the same as any other team's color that is participating in this event. If you want to go to cash fields with wearing different colors, sure. But the number one ranked team in the, in the field gets to choose the color that they want. Yeah. And you can put your sponsors patches on, but like the rest of your jacket is blue. The rest of your jacket is orange, whatever it is. And then at least there's like, I feel like they look like NASCAR drivers where you can't tell anybody apart because everybody's got all the crests everywhere. Yeah. And there's, there are some cool uniforms like Adine with the Viking, but not, not enough teams are doing that to give them distinct looks. You know what I mean? Right. And when you're watching team sports, you're cheering for laundry famously as, as Jerry Seinfeld said. And so maybe in this kind of an event, you can, bring some of that into it and and say Maybe. like I'm cheering for the moose uh, jackets or I'm cheering for the the elk I'm just thinking of uh, <laughs> you're thinking of land mammals yeah big land yes. mammals um but that kind of thing maybe I, I don't know I don't know cuz yeah. watching the briar and the scotties right you you are familiar with those uniforms yeah, those colors part of from each yeah, of the provinces sure. you know yeah. even the the at the worlds you know yeah. the scotland team is going to be wearing their their dark blue and and canada is going to be wearing their black and red for some reason but yeah. uh yeah like they're distinctive enough that when you're flipping the channels on tv you can see it and say oh, yeah. okay this is like a thing and i know who's on which side yeah yeah i also wonder if team names would be fun Right. Let's yeah. come up with some team names. Like just again, something to differentiate these from other things. And I will put in the description below, if you haven't, the link to the episode we did where we go through in great detail with each individual event how we propose to change it so mm-hmm. that they are are more distinctive. So let us know if we're crazy in this, if we're way off base, if you love the slams, if you think they're better or more memorable than the Euros, the Canadian Championship, the World Championship. We won't put the Pan Continental in there yet because it hasn't had enough time to cook, and it's yeah. the, the the depth of the field isn't isn't there. But the Euros are very very good. The yeah. Worlds are good. We obviously are partial to the Scotties and the Briar here. So let us know what you think, uh, Scott. One other thing this week that we did not talk about in September when it was announced, but. The induction ceremony happened last Thursday night, the 19th of October. Four of your newest Canada Sports Hall of Famers, the Furby Four, were inducted into Canada's Sports Hall of Fame. Of course, Cheryl Bernard is the CEO there, so a lot of curling content. The headliners were Tessa Virtue and Scott Moore, but the Furby Four were included in that class. Scott We've talked about them before, not in too, too much detail, but in, in some of the look back episodes that we've done, 
but just briefly, what is the legacy of the Furby Four for you? And where are they in the pantheon of Canadian curling? So their legacy is long, Sean. It's uh, they were the first team that I remember that threw out of order. They sort of made that a thing. They right. developed the zone system for calling weight, yes. uh, which is pretty influential. I don't know that you know too many teams use it like all the time, all the time, but. Uh, it was definitely something that helped the communication from sweepers to the house uh, across the game. I still use it at at club night, you know, sometimes. Uh, right. say, ask for a one or ask for a two. So that's pretty important. And they also were sort of the catalyst. I don't know if they were the catalyst behind the professionalization of curling, but they certainly benefited from the professionalization of curling in that they were not having to play Kevin uh, Martin all the time, yeah. decided to boycott the, the, the briar for a couple of years, but their impact is huge. Uh, whether you like them or not, uh, sometimes they were annoying to watch <laughs> and like any team that wins too much, except for Sylvana Terenzoni, uh, they get like, uh, can somebody else win? You know, like Colleen Jones was like that. Uh, can somebody else win now? But uh, they're just like, very dominant changed the sport in a lot of ways and made it look more like the sport we see today. Yeah, for sure. And I remember an interview with Randy Furby when they were in the midst of those four straight briars and somebody asked him about the fitness side of it and having rock and Pfeiffer being really just so much better at sweeping than anybody else they were playing against. And Furby said something like, yeah, the guys go to the gym a lot. And the follow-up was like, the guys go to the gym. And he was like, yeah, the guys go to the gym a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The clear implication of what that meant. But it did change things. And you're right. And Randy Furby calling the game, but having Dave Nedowin throw last, who was was so good for so long. And his little Mm -hmm. teacup, not a full pullback, but his little just poor poor spot of tea delivery was, (laughs) they, they were so good. And yeah, you don't know. There's a lot of what ifs that certainly Kevin Martin would bring up if he was participating in Alberta playdowns at the time. But the reality was that he was not and Furby won four straight and had this incredible run. And now they are in the hall of fame and were on one of my favorite episodes of corner gas, which we have profiled and done a full deep dive yes. on the show before. So they have that going for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I, I was just thinking they might've influenced that Kevin Martin team that I think is probably the, is, is the best team I ever saw with Ben Hebert and Mark Kennedy yeah. playing front end because they both slid and had a left, like a lefty and a righty and kind of similar builds too. Like yeah, Marcel yeah. rock I, and Ben Hebert are similar physically as are Scott Pfeiffer and Mark Kennedy, like yeah, very similar still- in, in the physicality. So I think my, I mean, you could ask Kevin Martin on, uh, maybe he has a show. I don't know. Uh, you could ask him if, if there was any inspiration drawn from that. Uh, he'd probably tell you, no, Mark, that Mark Kennedy was just so good and he wanted him on his yeah. team. Uh, it makes sense. But yeah. that has borne yeah, out to be like, correct. I, I see like some, some things that were taken from the Furby team on that team and yeah. the rest of the curling world for sure. So uh, hugely influential team. 
Yeah. And even last week when we were talking with uh, Team Davies, they said that as, as the front end there, they could they sweep on opposite sides and are closed both on each side. So mm-hmm. that that's part of the reason that they work well as a front end. So yeah, that that certainly has come together. And yeah, more of a, a comfort level of teams throwing out of order and finding success. Of course, Tiranzoni being the most recent prominent example of that situation. So yeah. uh, congratulations to the fur before. Congratulations to Scott Moyer and Tessa Virtue and the entire class of 2023 for Canada's Sports Hall of Fame. You know, I know who else is in there, Scott? Tell me. You got a wheelchair basketball player, Danielle Piers, a Phyllis Bomberry, who was a softball player, and you have George St. Pierre, of course, famous uh, MMA athlete, and then judo coach Hiroshi Nakamura and Oren Lyons, who is identified as a lacrosse pioneer. So the latter two are in as builders. So congratulations to the whole class. Yeah, congratulations to them. Did you know, Sean, my friend Tim used to work at the Canada Sports Hall of Fame? I did not know that. What did Tim do? Uh, I think he put the uh, displays together. Nice. So he's like a curator. Well, like physically put them together. Oh, okay. He didn't conceptualize them. He was told Uh, this goes here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. More of a builder position. You know, yeah. yeah. I think it was when we were in university, it was like a summer job. Yeah. Have you ever been to the Canada Sports Hall of Fame? You know, I I have, but I don't think I've gone in okay. to like the, the Hall of Fame itself. But I've been to COP. I uh, rode that bobsled. Uh, yeah. Bobsled track famously. I don't yes. know if it's famously that I did that, but uh, I did that and it was really fun. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. You've uh, I don't know if you told that story on the show before, but I've heard that story. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of fun. And. I don't know if you saw this last week, but uh, the people in Italy are not going to have that opportunity because they are going to do the bobsledding at the 2026 Olympics in a different country because of cost overrides. So they're not actually building a bobsled track or a sliding track, not a bobsled track, a sliding track. That So they're going to be in another country. Other countries have already put up their hands to host the sliding events. Wow. I'm thinking, Scott, this is a preview of what's to come with the winter Olympics where they're going to be spread out and one event will be here. Like it's, it doesn't seem sustainable for one country to host them anymore. Cause nobody seems to want to. Yeah. That's too bad. Um, Cause Sean fam- famously again, uh, yeah. me, we're, we're going to go to the 2026 Olympics, right? We haven't really talked about it, but I was talked about it, but we would like to. Yeah. And uh, you know, we'll try to get that uh, Olympic media credential and see what we can do. Yeah, that's our gold medal, the Olympic yeah. media credential. I've, uh, once that happens, the show's over. Um, <laughs> I've never been to Italy, Sean. Yeah, I was just in Italy. That's why we didn't yeah. have a show for a couple of weeks, because I was away. That's right. That's yeah. right. Uh, so, yeah, do you recommend? As long as you're okay with everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people smoking. That's a lot of smoking. I really did notice that. A lot of smoking there in Italy, but also a lot of really good food and delightful wine. So mm. not too shabby. Exactly. Exactly. But it is, yes, a, a beautiful country, uh, to be sure. So with that, 
we will say thank you so much for listening, everybody. That'll do it for this week. If you have not yet, please do subscribe wherever you get your shows, likes, comments, all that good stuff helps us grow the show. And of course, you can always let us know what you want to hear by sending us an electronic mail, Game of Stones podcast at gmail.com. Head on over to Game of Stones pod.com. Past episodes are there, plus a link to the merch. Uh, winter is here. Curling season is here for a lot of folks here in Canada. If you want some merch, the hoodies, the toque, hat, all that good stuff is over there on GameStonesPod.com. You can follow along with social media. I have no idea what's going to happen with Twitter. Elon Musk seems to want to make it into WeChat, but with a fee. And for some reason, he won't let me just follow the people that I follow or see the stuff from the people I follow. So I haven't been using it much anymore. Who knows? Maybe it'll get better, but all reports are that it's not. But if you want to follow us, we still have the account at Game of Stones Pod on Twitter, Instagram. It's Game of Stones Podcast on Facebook. We'll try to find something fun for this curling season because Twitter is its just so hard to engage now. So we'll see yeah. if we can find something else to engage during games which is the most fun part of having Twitter. But again, I can't see what the people I follow are, are tweeting in the order I want to see it in. So, and all the tweet decks are gone, all the good ones. So like, I don't know what to do with that. Are we, do we have a blue sky invite? We do don't we at the invite? moment. No. Oh, if anybody wants to throw us a blue sky invite. Uh, yeah. Throw us one. Us I'll set, I'll set that up. So, uh, but yeah, for, for the moment, that's what we got going on social media so scott i don't think we've talked since we've played we have played two games and we are one and one on the season we played took three weeks off and then played another game so so far not too shabby i think no it's been fun Uh, i think we were all a little rusty the first game for sure i'll say uh we didn't play a full a full game did we did we play eight i don't remember the first night no it was no. Uh, too much of a beat down but we were on pace yeah. too we were on pace too and it was not uh it was like the score was a little bigger than the actual game was it, the game felt sure. closer but you know you give up uh, a few points here and there yep. and there you go and then on uh, this past week uh I had a good, uh, I had a good game. You had a good game. Yeah. Uh, we all sort of had pretty good games and it was close. There were, you know, a couple of situations where we were, we got ourselves in trouble, but we managed to pull it out in the end and, uh, got a couple of big misses. We, you know, we, we made it tough, uh, tough. Yeah. I think, I think we outplayed the other team, but certainly in one end, like it was an even number at end, just one miss either Arthur or Jesse's last or your first one. And it was too deep and kind of, we were set up for like a four and then like two feet and they were able to, it gives them the break out of it. We still scored that end, but that's one of those ones where if it's three feet higher, we score at least two, probably more and the game's totally different. So, but that's the vagaries of the sport. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's been nice to, to stick around after the game. I, I wasn't able to the second one, but uh, get the socialization back in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, it's been fun. It's been fun. Yeah. I think our goal will be to stay in B this round. Yeah. I think that's a good a good goal. Shooting for the A, probably not. Right. 
But uh, yeah, if we can stick around, I think that'd be pretty good. Hard to do with the new system that we have, but true it is. Uh, we'll see what happens. We'll we'll do our best with the uh, three games left in this draw. The weather's cooling down. Feels like curling. Actually went to a game the other day, Scott. It was dark when I went to the game, first game of the season where I went in the dark. Granted, it was the late game, but for the but, first time. Yes. So that's you know that's what I'm used to is walking to the club in the dark. So yeah. uh, curling season at our level. Uh, at our rec level here in Ottawa is ongoing and we are looking forward to sharing the entirety of the season with you, the pros, us, everything in the middle. So do follow along, subscribe. We'll be back with you again next week, but until then keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern. Make the final.